Thanks, Albert. Got some exciting things coming up here at Valley Lights. And good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, if I haven't got a chance to meet you in person, I would love to after our service. So say hello to me at the back of the room. I'm, gonna, I'm excited to jump into our message for today. I want to make an announcement first about um, we made a new hire uh, on staff. And so uh, Barry Rogers, we have hired as a part-time assistant pastor of Sunday operations, which is an exciting step for us as a church. Yeah, <laughs> praise God. He's back there. If, if you haven't met Barry, he's standing in the back. He, he actually may have greeted you on your way in. Um, I'm excited about this. Uh, Barry, first of all, has proven himself in uh, character and in faithfulness. He, was one of the, he and his wife, Holly, were one of the couples that helped us to start the church. But I'm excited to have his help because um, he's going to be able to bring his, his role, being an assistant pastor over Sunday operations, he's going to be able to bring a greater level of organization to our volunteer ministry teams, um, increase the quality of Sunday services, and, and really also help create a more welcoming experience for new guests. And the reason I'm, uh, I think Barry is a good option for, for the role is because for the past three years, He's been uh, putting a lot of effort into the church for no pay, <laughs> for zero compensation. And act, you, he's the kind of guy that acts like he was getting paid because he cares so much about the mission. He cares so much about the interests of Christ. And so I'm excited about this. Uh, for me personally, the way I've been feeling now that we're about three years in, and I've, to this point, it's just I've this, the lead pastor, and that's it as far as pastoral staff, um, I don't know if you've ever driven a car where the battery and the alternator are starting to go out and it's like it's starting to chug a little bit or like you're driving and the lights are starting to like flicker off a little bit or the headlights aren't working good. That's kind of how I've been feeling. <laughs> and um, having Barry come on staff is kind of like hooking up a bigger battery to the engine. So you just turn it on and the thing just revs up and uh, that he's going to bring a level of energy to what we're doing that I'm really excited about. Um, and uh, well, I had I had a when I was getting trained in as an associate pastor for about 13 years at our sending church. Uh, one of the things that the lead pastor there had always said was he always wanted to hire people that had batteries included, meaning like sometimes you can hire an employee and if they don't have their own batteries, you got to like motivate them and you got to like kick them to keep them moving. So he said, I'm I'm only going to hire people that come with their own batteries, and so. We have done that as a church. We've hired a guy that has a, a lot of big batteries to help us move the mission forward. So I just want to let you know that's exciting for, um, for us as a church to take that step. So let me jump into the message for today. And we are, we're actually finishing a series called Risk and Reward. And we're, yeah, I've, been, I've been fairly honest about some of the risks that come with following Jesus. Turns out it's actually not that easy to, to be a follower of Christ, and there, there are quite a few risks that you run if you're going to take the Bible really seriously. Following Jesus comes with a lot of blessing, but it's, it's just not easy. It's very costly, and the costs of being a Christ follower just seem to go up. The more that you walk with Jesus, the more faithful you are. It seems like the costs just keep going up. So this series, I think, has been probably helpful for people that are exploring what it means to be a Christian, and so that you kind of know what you would be signing up for if you became a Christian. I think it's also helpful 
for people that are already Christians for you to look at the things that you have signed up for <laughs> and the risks you do run. And so in, throughout this series, we've been reading through 2 Timothy. There are four chapters, and it's a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul. It exposes numerous tensions in the faith. And so this letter that we've been looking at, it was written by Paul at the very end of his life. This is the last letter he wrote that we have. And uh, he's uh, in prison with nobody around him to support him and probably about to be executed. And he's, refle- <laughs> he's reflecting on his life, which is a pretty, you know, drab environment. And he's really, I think he's really hoping that Timothy and some other faithful guys are going to be able to carry this mission forward after he gets the axe. And so, you know, we we read in this letter that Paul's very influential life was marked by persistent challenge and suffering and struggle. He's very influential, came with a lot of struggle. And so we see from this letter and others that Following Jesus involves a lot of risk and a lot of sacrifice. It really, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to deliberately invite tension and discomfort into your life. And we've already looked at three categories of risk and discomfort in in this series so far. And today we're going to finish the series looking at the end of chapter four. The last big area that we're going to look at is relationships. Paul wraps up this letter talking about tons of people by name. He just names, it's, it's almost like he's looking at their church and he just names like, he's like, oh, and Joseph and James and Albert and, and Suzanne and, and Holly. And he's just like, na- he's just naming all these different people down the list of, of people that have been with him. And some of, some of the, the people he named, the shout outs are like positive and some of the shout outs are negative. And, you know, we just get a peek into his relational network at the very end of his life. I think it's really insightful And what we see is if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to have a major impact on your relationships. Jesus is the one relationship that affects all of your other relationships in a very decisive way. And so we're going to read through this conclusion of his letter. And here's the risk that I've drawn out of this passage is that following Jesus brings the risk of relational pain. This is, I think, one of the main points at the top of your handout if you want to follow along. Following Jesus brings the risk of relational pain. And so as you relate to people, you might feel hurt. You might feel disappointment in them. You might, you might even feel attack from people in our lives as a result of being a Christ follower. So I'm not, I'm not, we're not, today we're not talking about relationship pain in general because ev- everyone has relationship pain. You know, there's Relationships are hard and messy. So everyone's got that. I'm talking specifically the pain that comes in relationships as a result of you being really serious about following Jesus. And so one source of relational pain, I think, comes from people who stray towards earthly distractions. And this is, if we're going to jump in, right when Paul starts naming people by name, in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Make every effort to come to me, soon. I'm going to get here in my Bible. Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. So up to this point in Paul's life, Demas had been a ministry companion. I think probably Paul and Demas had a bond, a friendship going, like maybe a brotherhood from doing church work together. Demas 
seems to have gotten training under Paul. And now Paul finds himself in a time of great trouble. Remember, he's in prison and pretty isolated. And a lot of other people hightailed it. Paul's in a time of great trouble, and Demas leaves. I would imagine that Paul was pained by this departure, that Paul probably felt somewhat sad and lonely, which is why he's writing to Timothy, Man, come, to, come to me soon. Man, I need, I could use some support. And I don't got that right now. And actually, the guy who was here just left, Demas. And somewhere along the way, Demas's love shifted. In the verse just previous to this, right before this, Paul mentions um, that there's a crown of righteousness for, uh, on the day of judgment, everyone who's focused on the return of Jesus Christ is going to receive a crown of righteousness for all those who loved his appearing. And so Demas shifted. His love shifted instead of eagerly anticipating the coming of the kingdom of God. Demas started loving this present world instead. And I thought about this. I thought about this love of earthly stuff and distractions. And I would say that Southern California is probably one of the hot spots on the planet where love of worldly things is maybe at a peak. And it's because life in Southern California is good, or it can be, or there's good things to enjoy here. Or certainly it seems like a lot of people around us are enjoying a lot of good things. And some of the desires that we have about in this present temporal world, some of the things that call to us, call to Demas. And so the centuries are sort of different, but some of the things, some of the desires are the same. And I, and I, I would say, if I were to think about what, are, what to contextualize some of those worldly distractions that come up for us now, there's, there's at least four really big ones. And I, here's what I think they are. One big one is money the pursuit of getting more money. Another one would be houses, either to, uh, if you rent, there's a real strong desire to own a house. If you own a house, there's a desire to get a bigger one. If you have one, you want to get one that's somewhere else, or you want to upgrade. There's all kinds of desires related to the house. Cars is another big one. Sure it would be nice to have a nicer, newer vehicle. And then this other category, I, I'm just going to say the desire is for a lover. And this could look at a lot of different ways. It could be, if you're not married, it could be a desire for a spouse. If you are married, it could be a desire for something to happen different with the spouse that you have. Or if you're married, it could be a desire for somebody outside of the marriage. But whatever, whatever, whatever the category goes, there's this, there's this strong desire for things that we find on the planet. And this lover, this desire for a lover of some kind, it could be inbounds, could be out of bounds. There's a variety of ways that it gets expressed. Monies, cars, houses, and lovers. I mean, this, these, are, these are some of the big desires, right, that people have. These are some of the things that really drive people. These are, very, these are four things that are very commonly found as driving factors for the way that people make decisions. They make decisions according to these things, try to get these, to get more of these. Um, these desires affect priorities. You can just look at someone's schedule or their appointments or the, just how they spend their time, and it, it, this may come up. Some of the life goals that people work towards involve these things. And so I think perhaps, you know, in Demas's time, in first century, um, ancient Near East, there weren't any Teslas. I don't know what they use for transportation. You know, donkeys, maybe just sandals. Maybe an up, a sandal upgrade is, is the equivalent. I don't know. Um, but, what, you know, don't you think that there's probably some corresponding desires 
from what we have now to what they wanted then. Yeah, I think that's the same kinds of things. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the packaging looks different. And so what happens, and I think what happened with what Paul was saying with Demas, is that sometimes there's committed Christ followers who are sometimes willing to go without these things, willing to go without the house. I'm willing to just trust God with my love life. I'm willing to just go with a whole lot less money than I could be earning. And, you know, there's decision points that come up for people where they got to decide, am I going to invest more in the church right now and in church relations, or am I going to start pursuing these other goals that require more money and work and time and investment that kind of distract me from church and God's kingdom? And sometimes you can see people wrestling with this at a heart decision. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody wrestling. They, like, you can see they want some of this stuff, or there could be other desires, by the way. Maybe they really want something, and they're really wrestling. Like, am I, am I going to do God's way, like, really seriously, or am I going to be distracted? And if you've ever put a stake in the ground where you said, I'm going to be so committed to serving Christ, even if, you know, like Paul, even if it means poverty and persecution, my stake is in the ground, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue God's kingdom. I'm going to, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, I'm going to put God's kingdom and his righteousness first, and I'll trust him. If you do that, a lot of blessing comes from it, but sometimes you're with people and you thought they made that same commitment, but they start to drift. And you're like, you can see over time, there's now, oh, there's, they're drifting towards the other, these other goals. Maybe at one point it felt like there was some alignment with you and this friend or you and a family member, and like we're following Jesus together, but then their hearts start pulling in a different direction. That's what happened with Demas. They peel off, and now they're building their own kingdom rather than God's, and it's, it's really painful. It's painful to watch that. It's painful, man, I, we were on track for Jesus together. And now that person's, our hearts don't sync up. You know, I still, there's still, maybe there's still affection there. I still pray for them, but our hearts are not together like they were. And that's really painful. Another category of pain in relationships could be people that do us harm. So the next verse for, or the next person that Paul mentions here, um, in somewhat a painful way. In verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. So here's another guy, Alexander, who was hostile towards Paul. And he's met, Al, Alexander is mentioned a few times in the New Testament. It's not totally clear if it's the same Alexander in each case, but if it is, then we know that Paul had invested some time into this guy, working for his good. But clearly, Alexander is now, at the end of Paul's life, working against the cause of Christianity. And I read one commentator even suggested that Alexander might even be the reason that Paul's in a prison at this point. Maybe that's the harm that he did. And Paul was not unaccustomed to being attacked by people. <laughs> Just a few verses earlier, in chapter 312, he mentions this. He says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So that's, that's a sobering statement, right? I mean, is anyone here currently a Christian? <laughs> is anyone here currently interested in living a godly life? If there's anybody here, yeah, okay, there's a, okay, there's a few. You, that, okay, so if that's you, you will be persecuted, according to this verse. So, man, all right, that's one of the other risks. So you've signed yourself up for persecution. And in the United States, 
at this time period, the persecution is relatively light compared to what a lot of Christians have faced over the centuries, but you probably still know people that are hostile to you simply because you have sided with Jesus. In fact, some people in your life, the more that you align with Christ, the more they resent you for it. And that, that's especially painful if this was once a friend or if this was once a close family member, and now they treat you like an enemy. And so that's really painful. This, so this is, a, this is a different category of pain. A third one that comes up, next verse, chapter 6, or verse 16, Paul mentions um, another. At my first defense, I think he's referring to when he was on trial. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and it seems like, it seems like he had a lot of friends in Rome to begin with. But the word friend would, would have to be used lightly because hardly any of these, quote, friends wanted to be identified as a friend once the heat turned up and he was on trial for his life. And so for a great number of people, if, if they were seen with Paul, they might endanger their own lives. Their concern was for their own safety. And that concern was a lot bigger than their desire to stand with Paul and to stand with the message of Jesus. So Paul stands on trial alone, watching all of his friends just kind of slip into the shadows. He's like, oh, I could count on you and you. And like, oh, wait, where'd you all go? I'm by myself on trial. And that probably grieved Paul. He's like, man, I I really... He's like, I'm not going to bail on Christ now, but it sure would have been great to have some camaraderie at this point, some encouragement. Maybe Paul could have used some encouragement to stay strong in the Lord, some brothers and some godly men to express their support. It's the third category. And then a fourth one that, I, that we draw from this passage. If we jump down to verse 20, Paul mentions another guy. He says, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. So here's a guy. This is just a really short verse or short part of the verse. But here's a guy that had gotten sick, and it seems like Trophimus might have been in Rome with Paul had he not gotten sick. So he had to get left behind. And, you know, I was pretty sick last week, which, if you were here, thanks for praying. I've recovered. Praise the Lord, and I feel better. Um, but man, I almost, I almost felt like I got left behind being sick. I was in bed for a week. And, uh, you know, the world that we live in right now was originally created good when God first designed it, but it was broken and marred by sin. One of the effects of sin is sickness. Sickness and pain strikes. That's part of our life now. And when it does, it can really affect ministry. It can affect our relationships. Sickness if it gets really severe, it can just change plans. It can ch- your, your whole life can be redirected if you're sick or if your kid's sick or if somebody that you're spending time with is sick or injured in some way. And sickness, of course, can even lead to death. And there may be a need, if this, if this happens, there may be a need to move forward into the future without that person. And that can be very difficult to process. So if you lose someone either due to sickness that debilitates them or even death, you've, you've, got, you've got to somehow move now into the future and that person's not there now. And 
there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of processing with that and a lot of difficulty trusting the Lord to move forward. And this is another guy. So some of the other guys, some of the other people are maybe antagonistic or deserting. This is a guy that actually probably would have been pretty helpful, but he couldn't be there. And so Paul would have counted on him, but he's not able to now. So in Paul's conclusion of his letter, I found at least four categories of relational pain that he may have experienced. Here they are. You might experience people who stray towards earthly distractions, people that intentionally do us harm, people who just disappear in times of trouble. Those are the deserters. And then people who are taken out by sickness. So the bottom line is there's a whole lot of people that didn't show up when Paul was in need. This is a dark, this is a dark difficult time of his life, more than likely. And, and these were not just random people. The people he's referring to were not unknown haters or just internet trolls online slamming Paul. And they don't even know. No, these, these are people he mentions by first name, which means there was, an, there was a relationship there. There was time invested. And if you know anything about Paul, he loved people deeply. Paul poured out his life for Jesus and for other people. A lot of those relationships, a lot of them probably started well, and not all of them had a happy ending. Everyone has relational pain, but there is a pain that results directly from a commitment to Christ. Whenever we get really, really serious about following Jesus, about walking, about really about obeying the Bible, you're like, okay, there's some there is some hard stuff to follow in here, but I'm going to take, this is going to guide my whole life. What God has said is, I'm going to do. If you live that way, it's going to affect your relationships. There's no way around it. We may feel let down by people. We may feel disappointed. We may feel grieved or even attacked. We might even walk through periods of loneliness, a feeling of isolation. And it really, it really hurts to love people, to serve people, to invest, and then have things turn out sour. It's really hard. And sometimes the, the period of isolation and loneliness that you walk, to, walk through, it's not because there's nobody in your life, because maybe you still work or you're in a room like this, but sometimes you can actually still feel fairly lonely and isolated for periods of time because of what God is having you walk through, and it can be really, really difficult. And... This, when I read this, it actually, it reminded me of some of Jesus's words in Matthew 7, when he, when he talks about the narrow gate and the broad road, he says, enter through the narrow gate. He's talking about eternal life. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. But how narrow is the gate and the difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. This, this is one of the most sobering things that I think that Jesus talks about. Because what he's saying is most people on the planet aren't going to make it to heaven. Most people on the planet are not going to keep their faith through their whole life. Actually, just a few. Like when you take a big survey of all the populations that live now and have ever lived, it'll just be a few. Paul, you look at Paul. That's what he, he lived that. He was faithful, but there were just a few. And man, the narrow, if you are, if you are on the narrow road and you're going for that narrow gate, 
it might feel lonely at times. Maybe sometimes you're on the narrow road and there's a few other people with you on that narrow road and you're looking at the broad road. There's tons of people over there having a great time. But sometimes you're on the narrow road and you're like, where is everybody? Am I going to take Jesus seriously if I'm the only one here right now? It's hard. It's really hard. So a survey of Paul's relationships at the end of his life could feel a little drab. It's maybe a little bit of a downer looking at, you know, where everyone ended up. But I do want you to notice he wasn't bitter. Paul wasn't like recounting a survey of all these people because he's just like smoldering in a jail cell. Like, no, he actually, one of the phrases we just read, he says, may it not be counted against them. He didn't, he wasn't looking for people to get smote by the Almighty God. He said, no, mate, he's actually praying for mercy for people. That, he's actually like what Jesus said on the cross. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. So Paul, he was somehow able to endure relational pain. And that's what I want to look at now. So if you are, if you have felt pain in relationships, especially because of your commitment to Christ, how do you endure that? One really big thing that we do, and we see here in this verse, is to draw your strength from the Lord for your deepest needs. Look again at verse 16. Paul writes, At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul was clearly feeling weakness. I think probably physical weakness and emotional weakness, some weariness. And, you know, probably the enemy was tempting him with doubt, tempting him to be discouraged, tempting him to to bitterness and to feel alone. I mean, Paul was feeling alone. And at times in your life, whenever you feel weak, the reason we know he feels weak is because he said he needed to be strengthened. The opposite of strength is weak. And if you ever feel weak, and if you ever feel alone, God may use people to, to lift you up. Very often he uses people Seems like Paul probably had people to lift him up at times of life, but not this time. This time there wasn't people. There was no one. So what do you do when you feel totally weak and there's not a single person to help? Or the people that you normally rely on are not available right now. Or they're not willing to help. You know, like, man, I feel like I could normally count on you, and I can't right now. So what do you do then? Paul says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So, Paul sitting in a prison cell awaiting death, uh, it turns out that he was neither weak nor alone, truly. There is an incredible sense of presence and comfort and strength that comes only from our Lord Jesus Christ. So in moments of loneliness, we think God has left us. Those times of pain are not a sign that Jesus has left. Some of those dark moments in life are when Jesus' love for us becomes even more tangible and even more real when we turn to him. Paul got to experience a powerful strengthening from God many times in his life. The Greek word strengthened here is and dynamo kind of sounds like the word dynamite a little bit. Like there's this power available. 
And, and Paul used this word often in his writings. A few examples is, he says, um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Philippians 4, 13. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ. These are just a few examples. There's more times when he writes about the strength that he experienced throughout his ministry, not throughout his life. So, if you feel weak, there is strength available for you. There is a powerful grace to overcome very dark times. Jesus can enable us to do things that we are not strong enough for on our own. So draw your strength from the Lord, especially for your deepest needs. The way that you do this, if you're thinking, okay, sounds good, how do I do that? I feel weak, I need his strength, what do I do? The first thing, the very first thing, is to turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To recognize that Jesus came, to the, the reason Jesus came to earth is to die on the cross for our sins. So that we could have a clear relationship to God and all of these powerful spiritual resources become available to us. Jesus actually wants to extract us out of our pain and darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. What's required on our part is to put our faith in him and to trust him as Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that, that is the, there, there, is, there is no spiritual power available to you until that happens first. So that's step one. And if you want to learn more about how to do that, or you want to talk about what that looks like, let us know in your connection card. There's a spot where you can say, like, I, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. If you've already done that and you're thinking, okay, I've done that, I'm still weak, and I need strength, I think the next best way to get strength from him, that dynamite power, is to spend time with him every morning. I usually call it quiet time or daily devotions or prayer and Bible time, but there is a steady walking with Christ, with God, on a personal level every morning that brings a level of peace that I cannot describe to you in words. And if you've, if you've walked with Jesus in, you know, yourself, spending your own time reading and your own time praying, there is a peace and a power and a joy in life that, is, that comes from that. And so I, I would recommend, maybe, maybe you have a habit, maybe, maybe at one time you've tried to get in a daily habit of spending time with God and you've gotten out of it. Maybe now, this week, is the time to restart that habit and get back into your, a very like, for, for me, someone asked me, I was at a coffee shop today, and he was like, oh, you're a pastor. He's like, oh, yeah, you probably um, need to spend time reading the Bible every day to, like, you know, just make sure you can do your job well. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's actually, like, a non-negotiable lifeline for me. Like, I, I could not go forward if I did not have my everyday quiet time with God. I don't do it because I have to as the pastor. I'm like, I need, it's for me to live is why I spend time with Christ every day. And so that is a big, big part if we draw our strength from the Lord, that is a big part of getting through the relational pain. There's another one, though. Another way to endure relational pain is to strengthen friendships with like-hearted people, because you're going to need them in times of trouble. I use the phrase, I like this phrase, like-hearted people. Like-hearted is, it's when I'm with somebody and it feels like our hearts are resonating towards the same things. Like, it feels like we're on mission together. It feels like our lives have some alignment because we really care about the same things. We care about doing things in the same way on a deep level. And even if you have a lot of friends, not all of your friends do you feel like, like-hearted with. 
Maybe there's people that you're with, like, you know, like we enjoy recreation together, we have some similar hobbies. But like there's a certain depth where like you go to a depth and then it kind of stops because it doesn't feel like at the heart level you're connected that way. But there are people that can be like that. Um, maybe maybe, maybe some, there's like different depths in, of, of friendships or maybe you've got family members, you've got coworkers. Maybe, maybe even if you like some of your coworkers, you, know, you just know you get to a certain level and then the similarities stop. Even if it's people you see every day. So there's, there's something different than when you have a like-hearted friendship, it's not based on your proximity and it's not based on your regularity. It's based on the heart level. And for Paul, a lot of people deserted him. But in the last few verses, though, um, he runs through a list of people that were still on mission with him. I don't think they were there present with him in the moment, except for one guy. Um, but you, like, I'll read this. I'll read these last few verses and see if you can count the names of people that I think seem to be fairly like-hearted. Um, starting in verse 10, he says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he's useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially his parchments. Jump down to verse 19. It says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, who's mentioned earlier in this letter. So super amazing guy. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimistic at Miletus. Make every effort to come before the winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. He just kind of lumps a whole bunch of people in there at the end. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. That's the end of the letter. So during the course of his life, it seems to me that Paul spent time making really valuable friendships with like-hearted people. And he kept up those relationships as best as he could. He kept, um, he would write to people, he would try to connect people and encourage people. He would visit. He'd try to go back and visit people that he started friendships with. And then if Timothy got this letter, the person he was writing to, then Timothy would bring the cloak and the scrolls and hopefully bring Mark. And it pro- if, that ever, if that actually happened, we don't know if Timothy did make it to Paul before he died, but if that happened, it was probably a tremendous refreshment. These are good people Paul's talking about here. So when we walk through dark times of trouble, we need good people in our life. More than, so more than just drinking buddies, you know, like people you just have, you know, you just go have a good old time with, we, just, we enjoy the same hobbies. Like you need more than just that. We need like-hearted, mission-focused people who can be real support in life. And when you think about this, maybe you have some friends that feel closer in heart. Or actually, I don't know if this is true for you. I, I have some people that feel closer to me, even than some, some of my, my blood family relationships. I don't know if that's true for you. Like, there's some people, they're not your family, but they feel closer than your family. Proverbs talks about this in chapter 27. It says, um, interesting verse says, don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. It's talking about trouble. It says, better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Um, a neighbor nearby, what's meant there is nearby in heart, like-hearted. So better to go somebody who's like-hearted than your own brother, who, even though he's closer by blood, feels far off in the relationship. So for help in the middle of trouble, choose people. Choose people in your life that are close in heart, not there just by relation or obligation. 
I've got some friendships that have developed along these lines. Um, about a year, I think it was about a year and a half ago, we went backpacking in, uh, in Big Sur, and I actually have a photo of the guys that went on that trip. And there's some guys in this picture that have been like-hearted, where we have um, not only been able to do fun things, like going backpacking is super fun, being outdoors, I love that, but what's even more meaningful to me is the way that some of these guys have uh, supported me or my kids or my family have been there when we've been in trouble, and um, guys that have just really encouraged me when I've been discouraged, people that have been the support to me, and so a photo like this is really meaningful to me for a lot of reasons, not just because it was a fun time. And you're sitting right now in a room full of people who can be near at heart, that can be like-hearted with you. There are people here who can become a running pack of good friends at a heart level. So one of the ways I think God designs for us to get through relational pain is to strengthen friendships with like-hearted people, because you will need them in times of trouble. And I want to invite, uh, actually, one of the guys, one of the guys in, the, in the backpacking photo, I want to invite uh, James up. And I, I've got a few questions for him along these lines related to his experience of building friendships. Oh, and you got the microphone already. So this is James. Hello. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you a few questions. Um, what are, so first question, what are, what are some ways that people from church have supported you in tough times? There's a lot of those. <laughs> As soon as that happened, everybody stepped up again and just kind of, you know, provided the things that we were missing in that in that first couple weeks of craziness when we were at a hotel, like even like kids' clothes because they all burned, like just stuff like that that you wouldn't, you know, that we didn't know what to do. God provided through the church family, which mm. was it was incredible. Awesome, those are good examples. Um, a little more specific related to groups. So uh, if you were here during the announcements, Albert had mentioned we're starting a new round of life groups that start this week. Um, but for you, you've been in, in groups a few times. How have groups helped you build deeper friendships? I mean, I think the groups themselves, they, they give you the opportunity to, to connect with people on a deeper level than just you know the first five after service. I mean, the, the structure here is, you know, more traditional and, and things like that, but when in the life groups, you know, there's less people and you're there, and it's like the environment innately creates this opportunity to kind of connect and have these deeper conversations for a longer period of time than maybe we have on a Sunday. And um, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's you've been talking about in the in the you know risk and reward series how following Christ is you know basically raising your hand and signing up to be uncomfortable. Case in point right now. <laughs> Not my thing. Uh, but yeah, the life groups at first, you know, the first one we went to, I was also feeling, uh, you know, nervous. And I'm, I'm not the, 
talk in front of front of people, guy. Um, <laughs> but that's exactly why I chose to go to you know make myself uncomfortable, grow, and that's exactly what happened. And it's really not as scary as people might think. Honestly. <laughs> it's just like everyone's so chill and accepting and and great. So mm. you really make good friendships and stuff, and you get to know people a lot better. Excellent. One more question. Um, why has it been worth it putting in extra work to invest in friendships here at church? I mean, it's worth it for that fellowship and sense of community that you get. It's almost like you were saying, like gaining a family that's sometimes closer than blood family. I mean, we, we didn't really have that before my wife and I, before coming to this church, we were kind of just unplugged and things like that. And through coming here to Valley Life and through groups especially and making those you know specific connections with quite a few um, you know the members here um, it's actually pretty much the only reason we didn't move out of California a couple uh, years ago during when everything was weird we were, gonna, we were pretty much gonna leave like we we're ready to pull the trigger and <coughs> prayed about it for a while and my wife and I discussed and um, we decided that like we were just we felt so good plugged in with this group of people and we didn't want to lose that just by, you know, why the bail from the state. So um, I would say it's definitely worth it. Mm. Awesome. Thanks, James. <laughs> if you stick around long enough, I'll invite you to come speak in front of people. So watch out. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, what he shares is really encouraging to me. So I've uh, actually, uh, James and his family have served us really meaningfully as well. There was a time not so long ago where it was a real tough, we had a real tough loss in our family, and uh, they live across the street. Well, they, they will once the house fire has been repaired. <laughs> um, but at the time, they lived across the street, and right away, they took our kids for a night, um, gave us a really generous gift card for dinner and a movie, and then offered to help out again, like as soon as we needed it, and was very responsive. So there's a kind of camaraderie that's have developed with him and other men and other families here at our church that has been very, very timely and needed for us as well. So one of the big ways to strengthen friendships with good people, if you want to develop like-hearted friendships, I would say, and as James just said, life groups are a great way to do that. And um, one of the things that you could do is sign up for one today, and uh, there's three offered, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you have any questions about those, like, it's probably pretty natural if you've never been in one ever at any church, and if you've never been in a group here at our church, you may have questions about where it is and where, where do I park, should I bring anything, what about the kids, All the, if you have any questions, just let us know what the questions are, we can give you the info. Um, so I would recommend signing up, but if you've also, if you have signed up already, my recommendation, and this would be a next step for you, is to really prioritize that group and say, we're going to go, and there's going to be plenty of nights that you don't really feel like going, and you'd rather just not. Sometimes the group leaders say that, like, I don't, I don't want to go to group. I'm like, you're the group leader. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's normal. That, that kind of life gets exhausting and busy, or you get sick, or whatever. There's just reasons that it can be hard. It's going to be hard to prioritize it. Um, then when you go to group, invest your heart. Like, go ahead and just share and, 
learn and listen and, and invest your heart in the people there. It is difficult, it does come with risk, but I, in this case, I think the rewards far outweigh the risks of getting involved in that way. So we've looked at this series called Risk and Reward, and there are a lot of risks to following Christ. And I just wanna end with one verse, basically end our look at 2 Timothy um, by, by what Paul said in chapter four, verse six, in, starting in seven, he, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. We have an incredible hope to look forward to. We don't deserve God's mercy. Not only do, does, does God save us from our sin, if we put our faith in him, but he offers us these crazy rewards on top of that. The crown that's mentioned here. Crowns are a symbol of honor and distinction and royalty. We don't deserve any of that. <laughs> but if we keep the faith, if we endure all the, all the troubles and the sufferings, if we keep trusting him as we go and continually look to his return, keep waiting, waiting for him to get here, putting our hope in that, waiting for him to come back, there are rewards that are far greater than we can imagine. It truly is worth it. Following Jesus, giving our lives to him is truly worth it. Next week, you, you heard earlier that we're going to be starting a new message series. If this series has been helpful, I'm really excited for what we're going to be talking about starting next Sunday. It's called The Usual Suspects. And we're going to do a deep look into both the Old and New Testaments for some patterns that we find out about um, things that we do that hijack ourselves. We have some foolish strategies. And actually, some of the flavor of foolishness is sort of different person to person, but there's patterns that we all fall into. And, or I guess you could see. You could come and decide for yourself if you fall into any of these patterns. But this uh, study that we're going to be doing together has been some pretty life-changing perspective for me, for myself and for how I relate to people. And so I really hope that you can come back for this next Sunday. And that also you'd invite somebody uh, to come to church. September sometimes is like a fresh starts kind of month for people, not quite as much as January, but September is a time where people are getting their kids back in school and programs are starting up and there may be a more willingness to why not try a church service. If you have somebody that you'd like to invite to come next Sunday, um, mark that on your card. There's a box that says, I'm going to invite somebody and we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you and that person. And we really hope to share more of God's hope and love with more people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word that gives us all the instruction and guidance that we need. And I pray that you would help us to endure times of pain and difficulty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.